Well, hello there, uh, friends and, and family that are watching. Uh, this is Casey Crawford. I'm the pastor of Elevation Church here in Menifee. And with me today we have... Pastor Greg Perkins, lead pastor of the View Church, also in Menifee. Yes. So we are coming here today, uh, first and foremost, uh, as brothers in Christ. Yes. And also on behalf of the Menifee Interfaith Council, which both of our churches are a part of. And one of the statements in, of purpose of the Menifee Interfaith uh, is to speak out on important social issues of the day. Uh, so we're going to be doing that today. We're just going to have an unscripted, candid, uh, important conversation about race and racism in our culture, about God, and about the church. And so uh, both of us uh, are going to speak today as the Menifee Interfaith uh, Council encourages uh, to live from and speak from and pray from uh, your own faith tradition. So you're going to hear a conversation today uh, from brothers in Christ. Amen. And from, uh, from our biblical worldview, what do we see? What do we see going on right now in our world? What's God's heart uh, in the midst of it? Yes. Um, and so even just a, a little bit about how we got together today, um, as, as we've been seeing events unfolding in our country, um, specifically, most recently, uh, the, the absolutely uh, horrible and unconscionable uh, death of, of George Floyd um, just arrested my heart as it, as it has uh, for many in our country, um, which I know we take hope in. Yes. Um, and so it just stirred in my heart here. I know there's a, a local pastor here of a, of a thriving and, and abundant church. Um, and I just I said, you know what, as much as I'm going to fumble through this, I want to reach out and say, uh, can as brothers in Christ, can we just sit down and, and talk about these things? Yes. And, and though you know, information gets out there on social media, I think one of the most important ways forward, if we want to grow and, and heal and make progress as, as a nation as, and as churches, uh, it's just sitting down and having conversations and yes. seeing each other's face and eyes and, yes. and hearing stories and feeling hearts. And, yes. and so I just uh, reached out and asked him if he'd be willing to, to have this conversation. And uh, your response was quick and... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Yes. So, so here we are. And so let's just uh, get right in, uh, Pastor Perkins. Yes. Um, what, what, why don't you just uh, start and just share with us your heart a little bit about what do you what do you see going on in our country right now, um, the things that encourage you, inspire you, the things maybe concern you, and uh, we'll just start there. So I'll start with what is encouraging me. Uh, I'm encouraged by the almost universal acknowledgement that our country has systemically disenfranchised uh, image bearers of God. And so that universal acknowledgement is encouraging because for the first time in our history, we've never had um, such acknowledgement, uh, embrace, and the desire to understand. And I, I think, uh, Pastor, with your um, very humble way of, of reaching out and saying, you know, I don't get it, but I want to get it. And, and I, I just have a burden for, for what I've seen and a burden for what I feel like you've experienced as a fellow brother in Christ. And so I'm thankful to you. I'm thankful for this opportunity, thankful for the Interfaith Council. So what I'm encouraged by is um, what the enemy meant for harm, God is using for good. It's kind of like Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 1 where he says, God, how can you use Babylon for good? Justice is perverted. How, how can, and, and God said, I'm going to use it for good. And I believe that in this season, God is going to use what we are seeing for good. And we're experiencing it today with this dialogue. So I'm excited about the hopefulness that this, this time has, has brought us. What I think is my greatest, um, what brings me great sadness is that it took the loss of life to acknowledge what I have been experiencing and living for 52, almost 53 years. 
Um, Which is what specifically? Yeah, it took uh, uh, the Floyd uh, brother losing his life. It took Ahmed Arbery losing his life. It took Brianna to lose her life. Trayvon Martin, a number of years ago, young man who was walking in a neighborhood where his father lived in a gated community and was gunned down. Um, and while there was great outcry in the African-American community, our other brothers and sisters, including the evangelical church of which I'm a part, was silent. Um, the young man who was uh, choked and died in uh, selling loose cigarettes in Brooklyn, there was great outcry from the African-American community, but the broader community, including the evangelical church, uh, was silent. Um, and so what saddens me is on one hand, I'm hopeful because finally um, it's understood and recognized. A part of me says, well, what took you so long? You know, and so what saddens me is the political discourse that is seeking to use this as a political opportunity to score points on both the right and left versus seeing this as a human issue. This isn't about political gamesmanship. This is about our humanity and what kind of world and society do we want to be. Um, and so I'm excited that God in his wisdom and timing uh, has allowed us to enter into a new conversation um, that is not anchored in villainizing. Notice that when folks tried to villainize him, oh, he was on drugs, oh, he was this, there was universal saying, it does not matter. Hmm. Whereas in times past, all of these periphery issues uh, co-opt the main thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful that now the main thing is remaining the main thing. There's a man who is in custody, who was created in the image of God, whose life was taken needlessly. And so that gives me hope. Mm -hmm. My sadness is, is that it took kind of that. Uh, it took us observing literally a person being murdered. Uh, it was rendered a homicide, so I can now say that. Before, I would not until the um, medical examiners and the independent examiner came together. It has been declared a homicide. And so it took us witnessing a man being murdered um, to kind of shake the conscience of our great country. And we do live in the greatest country in the world. Um, and so it's... Thorns and roses, mm -hmm. but uh, God uses both for his glory. So as you're sharing, um, the, a verse that's coming to mind is Genesis chapter 1. Uh -huh. And uh, would you agree that this would be just a, a helpful anchor point for all of us, all of us wanting to root ourselves in Scripture and root ourselves in God's worldview. How do, how do we orient ourselves with what's going on? And in some ways, and I hear from you, understandably and appropriately, like an eye roll of this is so basic, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But if we're making traction, that's good. Mm -hmm. So what's the basic reality that we're coming around, that we're unifying around? Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 28, mm -hmm. where God said, let us make humanity in my image. Mm -hmm. And that is all of humanity. Mm -hmm. Every single person ever created mm -hmm. in is created in the image of God with that stamp of God's glorious image that we each, we all together, yeah. we bear. Yeah. And, and therefore, all are created equal and with infinite value, not just equal value, but infinite value in God's eyes. And therefore, anything that is a, a, an attempt to, from one person to another, say you are in any way inferior in your value, in your worth, in how much you matter, is an absolute affront to the, the, the very first thing yes. that God said in his word 
yeah. about humans. Yeah, it's um, and then if you take it to the New Testament, John three sixteen is so fundamental. God so loved the world, and in the context of that passage, it tracks back to the Genesis one. All those that He created in the image of God, He so loved that He gave. His only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, in order to have a belief in him, you must be part of the humanity that he created in Genesis 1. I believe uh, that word world in the Greek is ethne. Ethne, right? Yes. For those not catching on, ethnicities. Right, right, right. right, right. <laughs> it's the picture of God's love for every ethnicity. And it it's, is. That's where it reminds me of the picture in Revelation, mm -hmm. where it's every tongue, tribe, right. and nation yes. together That's right. receiving that, that That's love it. of God. That's exactly right. And I think that when we approach it through that frame, uh, people say, well, Pastor, why aren't you um, outraged and angry and all of that? Well, there's some outrage and anger. Um, but... Um, my outrage and anger is, is overshadowed by the fact that in order for me to be a follower of Christ and in order for me to be a lover of, of people, I must not see you through the lenses of me, but actually I need to see you through the lens of you. When I seek to see you through the lens of you, it then enables me to love you like I love me. And so I think that the conundrum that our fallen world faces, the conundrum is, is that we love people through the lens of our experience, not through the lens of their experience. And, and so when I love you through you, then I am more willing to be gracious to you, to be kind to you, to value you. Because I'm not seeing you through my lens and through my presuppositions and through my value system. I'm seeing you how you value me. Um, and so when that's I said- a big challenge. That's, it, that's big time challenge. Right? It is. Love your neighbor as yourself is it, it, misapplied uh, and, and, and it's contextually wrong. Uh, off times when it's exegeted, when it's when that passage is unraveled, um, it is a big challenge. But that is, um, I am a conservative evangelical Christian. Uh, I pastor a Southern Baptist affiliated church. Um, I am blessed to serve in leadership. Uh, I'm on the board of our Baptist Foundation on the exec of California, on the executive uh, board of our local Inland Empire Baptist Association. I'm on the national board of our National African American Fellowship of our Southern Baptist Convention and leading a task force for our North American Mission Board. I am a conservative evangelical Christian. However, that is not my identity. Nor is my identity first as an African-American. My identity is as a, a follower of Christ. Beloved child of God. Beloved child of God. And the, we're in the same family on that one. Well, <laughs> there is that. no other family really, right? Because uh, I don't want to be in the family of the lost, right? And so, uh, and so this beloved family... God has uniquely created us. So we're a potpourri. We're a soup. We're not a panacea, but we are a potpourri. We're, 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 we're an alphabet soup, a vegetable soup with all kinds of ingredients in it. So my while my identity is anchored in who I am in Christ, it is not God's expectation that I wipe myself clean of the unique ethnic identity that he's gifted to me and you. It is when we misapply that, that ethnic identity is where sin comes in. 
what would that look like uh, for you? And maybe you can just speak personally for your life. Yeah. What would it look like to misapply your ethnic identity? Yeah. I think if, if as an African-American man, or as, as a black man, um, there's been all kinds of different um, cultural names affixed to who I am. Uh, but as a black person, I'm okay with that. That um, if I looked down upon a white person or felt that they were somehow less than me, that's misapplying my the, the gift of who, who, who God uniquely allowed me to be. If I believe that who God created me to be is less than who you are, that's also misapplying. And saying, God, you messed up and you somehow, when you created me, you made me less than my, my brother. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so misapplication of, of the gift of who God created us ethnically to be goes inward and outward. Um, if you as a, um, I don't know what your ethnic background is, but it appears that you're you're white. And <laughs> if, you got uh, it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and if you drill down, I don't know what the other layers are, but... But as a white man, if you felt that somehow you were worthy of greater privilege or greater access than I, then I think that's a misapplication of, of the, the gift uh, of your ethnic uh, gift to the world. Um, I believe that um, if I or you um, intentionally or unintentionally uh, did not engage with others of differing uh, race, perspectives, etc., then that's a misapplication of the gift. Because I believe that God created us black, brown, green, white, purple, orange, whatever the, the color spectrums are, not to create isolated um, silos, but I need you to enrich me. Because you bring a, a perspective that I will never have, and I bring a perspective that you will never have. But if we throw them together in this grand potpourri that God desires to create, what an amazing uh, opportunity to bring light into darkness. The challenge is our sin man. And it's, it's sin that prevents us from being able to, to really live out God's intended plan. Well, so much good stuff there. I, my, my, my mind's like, all right, question there, question right, there, question right, there. Please. So before I uh, forget them all, um, you were talking such a crucial point about learning to see others through how they see themselves. Mm -hmm. Could you say that language again? It was, yeah. It's really, and then I have a question on it. Yeah. Loving your neighbor as yourself begins with loving your neighbor through the lens of your neighbor. Okay. Yeah. Because if I love you the way I see you, then I'm loving yeah. you through my presuppositions. Yeah. I'm loving you through the socialized prejudice, bigotry, etc. That, because we've been born into sin. Yeah. Shaping in iniquity, right? Yeah. Um, and so if I'm to love you as I love myself, I must love you through the lens that you see me. Okay. That's, that's makes so much biblical sense because mm -hmm. what you just said, we are, we are born into a fallen world mm -hmm. and, and the enemy has desired to divide from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so acknowledging an awareness that if I'm just coming with my own presuppositions about everyone else mm -hmm. I'm bringing a broken lens mm -hmm. that's exactly right. and and therefore I'm going to see and interpret other people through that broken through that broken lens not through God's lens not through God's lens. and not even through their lens not even and, and I'm reminded of uh, just the, the basic root of compassion mm -hmm. where as we see Jesus modeling it and the the Literal meaning in, in, in the Greek is this, this gut-level, visceral response mm -hmm. that, that says, I'm gonna, I want to feel what you feel. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe a more modern-day you know, translation of it is, 
to you walk in someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. And you see Jesus doing that. Mm -hmm. He's feeling what they're feeling. Exactly. It's reminding me what, of what you're saying. It's exactly. to approach someone with true love is to say, I want to try <laughs> with God's help to enter into your world. That's right. How are you experiencing life? How are, what are you feeling? I'm not going to tell you what you're feeling mm -hmm. right off the bat or what you should be feeling. I'm going to come in and say, I want to try to live in your shoes for a day. Mm -hmm. And that's where compassion can can grow from. That's right. Is that, am I hearing you right? And you think that's You are. Um, yeah. You know, um, living out scripture, oftentimes we make it more difficult than it need be. You know, it's an easy solution. Un seek understanding. That was the other one that was coming to mind. Uh, was uh, I believe it's James. Yes. Just says, "Hey, if you want to learn how to get along yeah. And, yeah. and grow a healthy, healthy relationships yeah. in general, yeah. what's the word? Quick to listen, listen. slow to speak." To speak. Yeah. And I didn't do it just there because I cut you off. No, no, but. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're speaking together. But, you know, James. But being also, here for me yeah. is that. I'm trying to say yeah. I, I have a lot to learn. Yeah. I want to listen. I think we have a lot to learn. I think I think we have to be careful during this season not to um, uh, not to recognize that in order for our great country and in order for our faith community to move from this season constructively, there has to be a dialogue. And that dialogue cannot be focused on a monologue. Hmm. There has to be shared understanding because people, all people groups come to the table with their own set of experiences. And, and if I don't hear those and respect those, then what will happen is, is that we'll put a Band-Aid on a situation, but underneath, infection will start to grow. Because everyone, God uniquely wired us for the need to be heard and understood. The second thing um, um, in James that we find is it, it calls out the notion of privilege. Because James said, that, yeah. you know, if the guy comes in with the nice clothes and you give him the, the nice seat, but the poor guy, you tell him to go sit on the stoop at my footstool. And as you know, contextually, that's like a subservient, low, yeah. disrespectful place. I think part of why uh, God has graciously allowed us to be here, and, and especially for those who are believers in Christ, for those of faith, is not only to look at the racial dimension, but to look at the socialized privilege as well. The desire for privilege, the desire to retain privilege, and the desire to be the purveyor of privilege is a great sickness in God's church. Wow. And that privilege uh, we use the word white privilege, black privilege. Oh, black people just want something for free. They don't want to be treated. Oh, white people just want it their way or no way. There's all these notions and understandings. Uh, oh, Asian people want to follow their own rules. Oh, Hispanic people don't want to assimilate. They want to be, you know, this is America. All of these notions of privilege, right? So what is, uh, how does that inform where we are today? Well, because many people of color, in particular black people, see the world through the eyes of being uh, underprivileged. Because there are institutional systems that have been in play. Why is there such a disparity in wealth? I'm, I have several graduate degrees. I worked 20 plus years in corporate America. But I don't have the access to wealth, potentially as you might have. 
Well, why? Well, it's documented that there's been redlining where communities that are predominantly of color, the, the value of their real estate, et cetera, has been devalued, which is why then uh, in the 70s and beyond, the advent of gentrification. Well, what was gentrification? Gentrification meant that non-people of color moved into predominantly colored neighborhoods and the property value went, it didn't go down, it went what? Oh. Uh, so I sold you my house for $5.00. It was gentrified, and now you're able to sell it for 30. So there's been systematic disenfranchisements under the color of privilege that have to be recognized. Why aren't there any banks, credit unions in uh, predominantly uh, color neighborhoods of color? Why are there payday loans? and check cashing places that charge 15 to 30% of the value of the check. Payday loans. We're going deep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Payday loans that, you know, people are being charged 20 and 30% of, of the value of the transaction. And so we can, we can, um, we can say Christ and Christ alone because Christ is the only answer to this. You are right. And there are some in my, of my, in my evangelical community who have tried to sully social justice in saying that, that Jesus and the, the gospel has no message, uh, no place in social justice, and it should be the Bible and Christ alone. And sadly, there were a season where I kind of felt that same way. But as I said to my church on Sunday, I've, I met in my prayer time a different aspect of Jesus. The Jesus that engaged with the woman at the well. The Jesus that engaged with the leper. Because, you know, lepers were supposed to be outcasts, but he engaged with them. The Jesus that allowed a woman who was bleeding, which was a great, as you know, contextually for Jews, horrible. She, he, he didn't ostracize her when he, she touched the hem of his garment. He simply said, who touched me? Right? The Jesus that overthrew the tables, and I, I said in a post, I wonder would he be considered a thug because he came into the temple and overthrew the tables, threw out the money changers. Because there was injustice. Because there was injustice. And so um, if we are to make progress, meaningful and lasting progress, we have to lament for the lives that have been lost. But we also have to lament for the walking dead. The ones who have been systematically disenfranchised. We have to lament for the men who have been systematically incarcerated because of the sentencing disparity between crack and, and powder cocaine. I was with our, our new chief of police Chief Walsh, and I promise you this is the wrong answer. I'm going to be quiet. Um, I was with, with uh, our new chief. And unprompted, he said, my heart breaks for the young men in Portland that I arrested who are going away for years because of a little piece of crack. And the surfer who gets probation, and he has a kilo of powder cocaine. And so... We have to mourn for all life. We have to mourn. I am, I am against abortion. I believe it is murder. And just as I am against abortion and the taking of unborn life, I also am against the systematic oppression that takes life. I'm against the policing uh, by rogue cops, because I don't believe all cops are bad, uh, police officers, I'm against that, but I'm also against the systematic financial oppression. That bursts, you're telling people, and I don't believe in looting and writing, and, and I believe in law, and, but you're telling financially disenfranchised people who've been systematically oppressed to act normal, how can they? Reminds me of, I 
I'm sure you know the quote by Dr. King. I may not know it, but tell me about it. Uh, and you, I know you know he was a very, very strong advocate for nonviolence. He was. But he had a, has a quote that uh, says something to the effect of, though he doesn't endorse violence, pay attention because rioting is the, the cry of the unheard. Yes, yes. And I read that because I know, I know he was never an advocate for violence. Never. In fact, my understanding and the reading that I've done is if you wanted to march with him, you had to go through trainings to not be violent. how to That's respond right. nonviolently, right. even if a police dog is about to bite your face or That's a hose, right. you know, so it's like, so he was incredibly committed was. to nonviolence. So yet there, his perspective was... I don't endorse this, but you have to, there's something that's trying to be said. Yeah. And that's where, so are, are, are we even willing to listen? Yeah. Just is what's being said? What's the cry yeah. that's, that's being said? Yeah, I think that, Pastor, that is so spot on. I just got chills, actually, when you said that. We live in a world that, I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but we live in a world that villainizes people. And once we villainize them, then we dehumanize them. And once they're dehumanized, they're no longer image bearers of God because they're not human. Yeah. Now they're just thugs or, or thugs villains or, or, or whatever. Or white supremacists. Or, I mean, it cuts both ways. I'm called to love the rioter who feels hopeless and the white supremacist who feels privileged. I must love them the same. Yeah, that's, that's when in my, Dr. King would for me, in my 19, 20, 21, 20 through 25 seminary, he was, uh, his writings were incredibly yes. profound for me. Incredible. And I had, I had never read anything that so uh, applied the revolutionary teaching of Jesus of love your enemy. Yes. Do good to those who hate you. Yes. Pray for those who persecute you. Yes. You know, I read that growing up, you know, in, in church. The King James Version says, despitefully misuses you. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So... But, you know, growing up for me, like, I, I don't even know what that looks like. I remember having conversations with friends who were like, I don't have any enemies. I don't have any. You know, it's like, what does that even look like to, to love your enemies? I don't even have any. Uh, so, you know, Dr. King comes in and starts saying, well, this is what it looks like. Yeah. And, and this is how we can apply the ethic of Jesus to yeah. love your enemy. And yeah. it still rings true. So today of what... what in some ways, it's like it's so simple. The solutions, in ways of, it's coming back to the loving of your enemy yeah. means, even when you see things that you know are wrong or you don't like. Whether, so let's use the extremes the, whoa, that you brought up of whether it's a, a white supremacist, a KKK member, or it's a it's a, a violent looter. We can both we can say both of those things are wrong, but. Don't stop there right. at just bad villain. Right. But Jesus would say, <laughs> love them. Right. Compassion. Try. What, what's their story? Yeah. How did they get there? Yeah. Listen. That's right. And if we can put ourselves in their shoes and start listening and slow down and, and, and humble ourselves to learn, we're going to see a human story. Yes. And that's where God's spirit can work. And, and not that we ever say, okay, well, those things are okay. But it, it, it changes hearts. Yeah, that's why I believe the passage, God has not given us a spirit of fear. All of these behaviors are anchored in fear. Hmm. Tell me more. The white supremacist is saying, I'm scared. That who I am is being devalued. An ethnic rioter is saying, I'm scared 
because who I am has no value. So the, the pathology of the behaviors I get, they're actually very similar. They uh, are modeled and illustrated and they are lived out differently because we live in a, a world where um, um, we must be honest, the majority culture in our country is white, white Anglo. There's a reason why there are not as many positive images of African-Americans in sitcoms. Uh, and when you see them, they're speaking in Ebonics. The people who receive Oscars and Golden Globes are playing maids, speaking in ways that they ordinarily, I don't know anyone that speaks like that. My family was raised in the South and nobody spoke like that. And so they, they are forced to adopt these speech patterns that uh, advance a misunderstanding of who that people group is. Just like every white family is not doesn't have a father and a mother and a picket fence and a Volvo in the driveway. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that's the those are the images that are promulgated. Those are the images that are advanced in our media. Right. Um, and when I say media, I'm using that loosely. I don't want to get into the media fight today. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, and so all of that provides a greater need for Jesus. Because the only way that I'm going to be able to see you, brother, for who you are, and not condemn and judge you for how, how God uniquely created you is that I have to see you through how you see you and that can only come through Jesus. Yeah. Love it. Reminding <laughs> uh, me, a, me a, of a passage and, and tying together some things you said a little bit ago about the, the social nature of the gospel mm -hmm. and what is the good news? Mm -hmm. what, what is the, the kingdom that Jesus came to bring? Mm -hmm. And does it have a, a social effect? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, we could walk through the gospels and, yeah, you know, I think we would have a lot of fun being like yeah, yeah. social, social, social. I mean, it's all over the place. Yeah. The, the, it's the transformation of society, it right? Is. It's... God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Which is why the Pharisees, Sadducees, and and the infrastructure, the political infrastructure of the day was so upset yeah. because he was basically uh, zeroing in on bringing hope to a people group that they needed to keep clamped down. Yeah, yeah. Even even having a meal. Yeah, having meals with the outcast, yeah. the marginalized, the, 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 the sinner, the, the tax collector, yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you say the Republicans. That's what I, mean. <laughs> I think you said Republicans, but Republicans and and there he might have been dare. some Democrats. In he there might as dare well. do that if yeah. he was here today. Yeah. Uh, but the the message though in that uh, the meal itself was 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 so dramatic mm -hmm. uh, of a social message. It was for a, to have a meal together to invite someone into your home or to accept an invitation was 100% about social status. It was. And that's really what ticked off the Pharisees. It wasn't, oh, he's preaching a message of love mm -hmm. or even that he's talking about salvation mm -hmm. in heaven. Mm -hmm. It was that he would he accepted and sat down and shared a meal with a prostitute and a tax collector. Right. And they were fully aware, this Pharisees, that this was a 100% about social equality, mm -hmm. saying, I'm your, I'll be your friend. Mm -hmm. We can interact at an equal level. Mm -hmm. We can share a meal. And, and in that, he's lifting up yeah. their social status because he's a rabbi. That's right. Or depending on your perspective, he's lowering his. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, socially, 
What's happening to you is not God's heart. Right. It's not right. So I'm going to embody the heart of the Father right now, and let's say, let's eat together as equals. And if you subscribe to that hermeneutic, that's the good news. Exactly. How, how could you say it's not? Because then it's saying, you're saying Jesus' actions yeah. are not that's right. are not in accord with his teaching? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so he only preaches the good news, but that's he right. doesn't embody the good that's news? Exactly right. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's right. Yeah. A, a, another piece of that, and this, this passage has been ringing in my heart, and we looked at it last Sunday, and we're going to look at it again this Sunday, Ephesians chapter 2, where it specifically says that Jesus died on the cross mm -hmm. to break down the wall of hostility between the two primary racial ethnic groups yeah. in the biblical worldview. That's right. There's Jews and there's everybody else. That's there's right. Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. That's right. And that passage is incredible about God's heart for the, the social ramifications, if we want to use that language, yeah. of what the good news is, of what even we believe as Christians Christ's death was about. Mm -hmm. It says to break down the dividing wall of hostility between God and between one another. That's right. So it's both the, the spiritual and the social, if you will, if that's you want right. to use that language. But it's incredibly clear that that's part of Jesus' death himself, itself. It, Is, yeah. am, I hearing, am I reading that right? With, Absolutely. It, well, its whole, his whole purpose was to undo what, what sinful man had constructed. Sinful man had constructed uh, a world that uh, rejected the, 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 the encompassing uh, world that God desired, right? So you had Jew, which is why Paul said there's no more Jew or Greek, you know, whatever, you know. The whole point was for Jesus to redeem fallen man back, back to God without question. But it was also to reset what man had lost in the garden. That's the whole point. You know, but what man has done is fallen our sinful way. And so even though God has a better plan, we imagine the world, what it would be if there was no racial bias, if there was no, uh, the you know, the stress to maintain privilege is stressful. Mm. It isn't easy maintaining your privilege, whatever that might be. Mm. That's that's stressful. You could probably boil down most most uh, most wars to that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you're you're right, uh, and, and spot on in terms of you know, his work was to deconstruct through the work of the cross but sinful man. You know, his engagement center on the cross was his final act of social justice to say that even you who are guilty are worthy. I'm on the cross. I could be thinking about myself, my pain, my agony. But even you who are guilty are worthy. And I challenge people, even that rioter who's guilty is worthy. Even that skinhead who is guilty is worthy. Even that bigot who is guilty is worthy. Even the officer who took the life of this man is worthy. Um, do I like it? No. <laughs> but I, I'm either going to live by the word or I'm not. And I can't pick and choose. Must justice be served without question? God's word would be untrue if, if that was not the case. 
Um, but I'm prayerful that if those four officers don't know Jesus, that they will come to know him. And I'm prayerful that if they don't know him and they come to know him, that they discover that knowing him, even if they're incarcerated, is better than not knowing him and being free. Well, I'm praying that those uh, are who lost their lives, the family members, if they don't know Jesus, that they would understand that there's no hope in, in the notoriety that they're receiving right now. That there's only hope in Jesus. And I'm praying that the, the, the rioters and the peaceful protesters, they're more peaceful protesters than they're rioters, right? Yeah. I'm praying that they understand that this that 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 they can march and it can be a worthy cause, but it's an empty cause if they don't understand that their true hope is anchored in Christ and Christ alone. And so I'm praying as a believer and follower of Christ and as a faith leader that this would be an opportunity for, for, for God to show himself sovereign. And that is the greatest joy I have with you and I having this conversation. Because there are many in the political world that are trying to sow seeds of discord. They don't want you and I talking. They want us to somehow feel like we're enemies. Yeah. But you picked up the phone and in love said, brother, you know, can we have a conversation? Because this is heavy on my heart. The enemy doesn't want that. The enemy wants me to be here and you to be just a few blocks away, but for us not being able to talk to each other. For our congregations to be alienated from each other. I believe that God is going to use this time to unite his church in supernatural ways for the glory of God. I am hopeful as well. Amen. On that note, give, give me some practicals. Yeah. Moving forward. Yeah. Let's say, and I see it happening. I believe it's happening. Yeah. Uh, people are grabbing on to uh, a lot of what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Um, we go back to Ephesians two yeah. for a moment, and and. Man, you're gonna preach that sermon because it's in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, it finishes yeah. on this this language. This uh, is just so incredible, so beautiful. Where it says, as as, as Christ died yeah. to to tear down or destroy. I mean, yeah. it's it's strong language. Yeah. Destroy the walls of hostility, yeah. the barriers of hostility, in order to create one new humanity. Yes, yes. Man, that language is incredible. Yeah. So if we're if we're hearing that and we're seeing some hopeful signs of that in our culture in yeah. churches. Help help me with some practicals. What, from your perspective, what can individuals do? How do we model that? How do we model it? How do we take little steps, yeah. big steps, practical steps? Because, I mean, we've talked about all sorts of ranges of things. And, yeah. and you start getting into stuff like redlining, you know, in, in geographical districts and, and yeah. bank lending. And, yeah. you know, I'm seeing that. Like, I'm hearing that. I'm like, I have no access to any of those people or yeah. things. But so... Back to the, the simple question of what are where do people start? What are action steps people can take to say we want to be a part of the positive change? Yeah. What are actions that churches yeah. can take as a whole, yeah. as units, as, as families, yeah. to to be a positive part of the change? Yeah, that's a great question. Um I have four to five very quick answers. And, and you know, I'm a preacher, so it's hard to edit. So I'm going to do my best because you've been very gracious with time. The first is understanding. Understanding because my experience is different from yours does not mean I'm whining, complaining, angry, or anything. It is just that I'm coming to this experience with a different well of experience. And so the well in which I'm drawing upon leads me to see things in a different way. Don't devalue that. Seek to understand it. 
empathy goes a long way. The second. Before you jump there, yes, just a quick comment on it. I, I heard it this week from another pastor. I thought it was so good of to, to be a Christian in this moment, to be a person of faith, just to be a strong person in general, yeah. a high character person. We've got to tell ourselves we need to allow other people to have emotional responses and not dismiss them. Yes. Like strong emotions, even if they're not your emotions, or even if their emotions are, in your perspective, a little over the top, yeah. it's kind of coming back to a lot of what we said about yeah. having compassion, walk yeah. in their shoes, don't yeah. judge quick. But the person referenced, look at the Psalms. Yeah. David is off the chain with oh, emotions at times. He prays that God, God would take his enemies and break their teeth on the rocks. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's in the Bible. Right. It's not saying, God's not saying that that's the great place to be. Right. What he's saying, what those Psalms say is God can handle that. That's right. We're all going to have strong emotions at times, and God can handle that. And not only God, can God handle it, but if we do what you have uh, suggested, we will be better for it as well. There's something in it for us too. Um, so yeah, so, so, so one is understanding. The second, um, um, I would say, is acknowledgement. Um, our political discourse has gotten so polarized that we believe if we just acknowledge a person's differing view or experience that we're somehow seeding ground. Hmm. And this lack of understanding coupled with lack of acknowledgement only exacerbates, only, only worsens the problem. You know, the reason why I'm such a great fan of Paul is because he acknowledged all his stuff. He said, I'm going through some stuff. I asked God to take it away, but you know what? I know I'm better with my stuff with Jesus than I am with, with that. You know, you know, I know you think that I'm saying one thing in your and through my letters, and then when I come to your face, I'm a shrinking violent. Violet, but that's not true. I know you're talking about you need the meat of the matter, but you know what? I know you can't handle the meat, so I'm giving you milk because you can't handle the meat. You know what I mean? He, and, and so just acknowledging, I don't like this because it makes me feel as a black person like the white person feels better than, than they feel like they're better than me. It may be true, it may not be true. Or the white person... This makes me feel uncomfortable because I believe that the black people are going are over the top. Be truthful to yourself. And don't try to try to discount that. Acknowledgement is critical. I think the I think the third thing, understanding, acknowledgement, and the and the third thing that I think is so important in terms of uh, this is denying yourself. Mm. If any man seek after me... that on the news. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, what's yeah. that look like? If it, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and what? Follow me. Follow me. We live in, we've been socialized in the me, myself, and I. What's in it for? And perhaps the reason why the majority culture, the majority society had not responded in times past because there was no value proposition for them. Because we've been socialized. If it's, what's my return on, on investment, right? We look at everything through our capitalist, through the lens of our capitalism including our faith. Denial doesn't mean you have to be walked over, 
But denial just says, for a moment, I'm going to place what I think, how I feel, and what I want subordinate to my fellow man. Understanding, acknowledgement, denial. The fourth one is really easy, but really hard. Try. A little word, try. Um, I am a very uh, competitive person. Um, I am short stature. Uh, and growing up, I was smaller, so I wasn't the athlete, wasn't whatever. And I uh, was forced to be on a basketball team. I don't know how to play basketball well. I'm not a basketball player, but my brothers above me were basketball stars in high school. And one um, had gotten a scholarship at uh, Oregon State, the Ducks, whatever school that is in Oregon. University of Oregon, I think. Yeah. Anyway, one of those Oregon schools. Anyway, um, ended up not going, but the point is, he was a basketball player. My sister right above me was a basketball player. So that meant that I should have been I. And they would always say, You're not trying. I was doing everything I could. I wasn't a basketball player. That wasn't my strength. But everyone assumed because I was African American, and because I had a brother and a sister who played, that I should what? Play basketball. I should play basketball. But you give me a book, I excelled. You have you you asked me to articulate something, I did my very best. When I say try, I'm not asking to be a basketball player. A, champion basketball player. But try. Most people don't try. And then the final thing is reject privilege. All of this political discourse is tracked back to privilege. All of the racial animus is tracked back to privilege. All of the financial disparity is tracked back to the retention of privilege. Gentrification is simply saying this people group is better than that people group. So when this people group moves in and that people group moves out, then it's more valuable because this people group is better. That's privilege. Pastor, the pendulum has swung and I would have never thought that Black Lives Matter that was used to demonize and villainize is now widely embraced. You could not tell me in a hundred years, and I'm not quite a hundred, but in many years that uh, Black Lives Matter would be painted on the streets of our nation's capital. What do you think is bringing about that difference? I think that Society, the Lord has been gracious to allow us to see that if we treat one image bearer, we're really destroying the whole. However, if you're a student of history, you understand that whenever society takes a radical shift, whatever that dominant culture is, it fights very hard to shift it back. If we look at any meaningful changes um, in our society and in our, in our world. And so my prayer is, is that during this season of oneness where people are rallying behind this, that God, if it is his will, does not allow to shift the pendulum to shift back. Because oftentimes the pendulum shifts back further than where it was before. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm hopeful that as a student of history, that the Lord will allow new history to be made. This will be the turning point for our great country that we will reject um, the attempts to villainize and dehumanize, that pro-life will mean all life, not just in utero, and that we will rid ourselves of the monikers black church and white church. Mm. We'll just be Positions open in your church? Do I? <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I actually, I do. <laughs> Just kidding. Elevation. You're time. interested. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. All right. Uh, wow, that was awesome. Uh, a privilege. I think for for time's sake, we should probably uh, put a pause in our in our conversation. Um, lots more. Uh, I know would be great to discuss, but. I think this was great, and if if uh, if people are still watching at this point, God bless you, because this was you. this was a lot to uh, to take in. But I think, um, uh, at least from my perspective, thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is rich. This is uh, a blessing and a privilege to be here and and, and talk with you and, and hear your heart and and uh, do my part, do our part in that uh, those steps, those Ephesians two steps towards uh, the the oneness that. Christ died on the cross for him. Yes, yes. That, that God's looking at and, and wants to smile upon. Yes, so. amen. Thank you for this opportunity. And I'm grateful for you and your witness and for your ministry. Thank you, sir. God bless you. We'll do it again. Yeah, I hope so. And we would hug and stuff, but we are still in the COVID. Social so we'll, we'll be good examples. And amen. <laughs> we'll, we'll... Okay. All right. All right. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Okay. All right.